Welcome to the House Church Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message by Pastor Travis Jackson. If you would like to know more about the House Church, please visit us on our website at welcometothehouse.com or download the House app. I want to say happy Mother's Day to all the mothers that are in the house today. Amen. We are so glad that you're here. Mother's Day is one of the most special days of the whole year. It's a day we get to love on our moms. We get to honor you. We get to celebrate you. Hopefully we, we give you maybe a nap today, uh, a little time off. My, I asked my wife, what do you want for Mother's Day? She said, I just want a nap. I just want a nap. I'm like, I mean, I can probably arrange that, you know. But uh, anyways, Adam alluded to it, but I don't know where we would be without our mothers doing all that you do, uh, from keeping the family together to praying for the family to finding the lost shoe, having kids, feeding kids, taking care of kids and husbands. Hello. Uh, you just do so much, and we honor you today. Uh, we, we know today on Mother's Day, I actually read this a few days ago, that it's the busiest day of the year for uh, telephone companies, more calls will go out Mother's Day than any other day of the year. So if you have not called your mom, call your mom after church, all right? Not just a little text message, but call your mom, tell her that you love her. Uh, I came across this story. It's pretty interesting. It was a, a wealthy son decided to do something special for his mom for Mother's Day. And so he ends up going to a pet store, and he sees this pet and uh, this bird, and this bird could quote the 23rd Psalm, okay? I can't even quote the whole 23rd Psalm. He could quote the 23rd Psalm. He could sing Amazing Grace, this amazing bird. The problem was this bird's $30,000, okay? So he's wealthy, so he's like, whatever. He buys the bird. He knows that his mom will appreciate it. His mom will love it. It's Mother's Day. And so he ships this bird to his mom, and he calls her Mother's Day. Mom, did you get my present? What did you think about the bird? And she said one thing. Honey, it was delicious. <laughs> okay. That's probably not a real story. Okay, it's probably made up. Here's the deal. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 2. And I want to preach a message this morning entitled, Be Like Mom. Okay? Be like mom. I think we would all agree that being a mom, again, is the toughest job on the planet. With all the things that you have to do, that you have to keep up with, with clothes and fixing bruises and hurts and kissing boo-boos and doing all this stuff, homework. Listen, it's exhausting to even think about what moms have to do. And again, we honor you today. We love you today. We don't say it enough as kids and husbands, but we really, we love you. We don't know what we would do without you. Um, I think I, we would all agree in this room this morning that the mom's most important job is pointing her kids towards Jesus. We agree? Mom's most important job is pointing her kids towards the Lord. And if we're all to be honest here today, I think we would agree we don't know where we would be without our mom. Without her praying for us, without her standing in the gap for us, without her uh, bringing us to church sometimes when we didn't want to go, hello, that was me. What would we do without mom? Today I want this message to center on four things that godly mothers show us. Now listen, no mother is perfect, no person is perfect, but a mother that is following after God is a powerful thing. It can change a life. It can change a family. And listen, if we will follow after God, things in our life can move. They can change. We can do great things for God. So whether you're a mother or you're not, I believe these truths that we're going to talk about today are going to help us. They're going to inspire us. We're going to look at four things that godly mothers do that are going to help our spiritual life. I'm telling you, I don't know about you, but I need my spiritual life to go to the next level. Uh, I don't know all of you in this room today. I don't know if, if you're on the mountaintop with God or you're in the valley 
Maybe you're going through a storm right now in your life. Maybe you feel dry in some areas. We serve a God that can meet all of our needs according to His riches and glory. We serve a God that can give us passion for life. We serve a God that can get us out of depression. We serve a God that can give us peace and joy even in storms. So I'm believing this morning, whatever you need, God is going to minister to you. Even in a room like this with a lot of people and a lot of needs, God knows you individually and God can speak to your heart. So as I'm speaking this morning, I want you to listen to the voice within my voice. What is God speaking directly to me? And I'm going to talk about several things, but what is the one thing God wants me to do after we leave this place today? Amen? So John chapter 2, are you there? If you're not, I'm going to read it. Listen. It says this, On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. The mother of Jesus was there, and Jesus and his disciples also had been invited to the wedding. When the wine ran out, Jesus' mother said to him, do not, They do not have any wine. Jesus said to her, How does that concern us, woman? My hour has not yet come. His mother told the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now standing, there were six stone water jars used for the Jewish rites of purification, each one holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them up to the brim. And then he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the man that's in charge of the banquet. So they took it. When the man in charge of the banquet tasted the water that had become wine without knowing where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water, they knew. He called for the bridegroom and he said to him, everyone serves the best wine first and the cheap kind when people are drunk. But you have kept the best wine until now. Last verse, verse 11. Jesus did this, the first of his sons in Cana of Galilee, and he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Let's pray for a second. God, we just thank you for today. We thank you that you love us. God, we thank you as we honor and we celebrate our mothers. God, we just thank you for blessing us with them. They're a gift of God from you. God, I pray today as we just dive more into your word that you would speak to our hearts. God, that uh, the arrow would hit its mark today. And God, I pray that we would leave encouraged, inspired to do what you want us to do in this stage of our life. God, we love you and we bless you. And it's in Jesus' name we all said, Amen. Now listen, this story to me is incredibly moving and inspiring. First of all, the setting of this story is at a wedding. How many people like going to weddings? Some of y'all in here. The first service, I don't think they had been to a wedding before, but y'all have been. You know, it seems like the spring coming into the summer, it's wedding season. I've done a lot of weddings in the last few weeks, and, and I love weddings. People are normally happy. There's an excitement. People are celebrating. There's cake. There's, like, finger foods. Like, it's amazing, okay? Um, what I think is interesting, though, if you kind of look at some of the stuff uh, in commentaries, if you have a good one, back in the day, kind of how they celebrated weddings is a little bit different than ours. Uh, back in the day, they would have weddings, and sometimes these celebrations could last up to seven days. Not just like two hours, but they would party, okay? They would have a good time. They would eat a lot of cake. They were having a celebration. What's interesting is Jesus is at this wedding. I think sometimes we think, you know, Jesus doesn't want to have fun. He just wants to tell us no. Jesus is at a wedding, okay? And he's not sitting over there in the corner with his arms crossed, judging everyone, just trying to condemn people. Jesus is there celebrating this couple. Before we really get into this, I believe a lot of Christians have two wrong misconceptions about Jesus. Number one, we think that he just wants to ruin our life. Or he just wants to make us have a worse life. And I see so many Christians, and it frustrates me. And they walk around like, I'm a Christian. I, I can't cuss anymore. I can't, can't go to the club anymore. I can't get drunk anymore. And it's like, that's not what it's about. 
You know what I mean? Like, if we can't get excited about what Jesus did in our life, like, he changed us. He saved us. He's restored us. Like, if you don't like being a Christian, if it's boring, you're doing it wrong. Okay? You're doing it wrong. And I found in my life times where I thought, man, this is a drag. You know, I wasn't a part of a community that, I, that were really following after God. Because, listen, following after God is fun. It's rewarding. It's fulfilling. Amen? Uh, there's another misconception that people have in regards to Jesus. We think that, you know, Jesus is just here to fix my problem. And I need Jesus just to fix that problem I have. I smoke cigarettes. I need Jesus just to fix that. Listen, Jesus can fix your problems. He wants to fix your problems. He wants to restore you. He wants to help you. But Jesus did not come to the earth and die just to fix your behavior. He didn't just come to modify your behavior. He came to make something dead come alive. Listen, all of us in here, we were dead in our sins. And so, yes, Jesus will give us the grace to overcome things in our life. Absolutely. But Jesus came to make me, who was dead, alive. So that's worth giving God some praise. Amen? Amen. So anyway, they're at a wedding. Most theologians believe that Mary is probably related to somebody at uh, the wedding because we see her involvement. They're out of wine. She wants to do something about it, okay? The, the wine is out, and she's stepping up. She wants to fix things. Listen, wine running out at a wedding back then was like you got a kid's birthday party, and you ran out of cake, right? I have a 4-year-old and a 2-year-old, and if, if there's a party, and they're out of cake, we're about to have a mess, all right? And, uh, and then I'm just going to be like, Whitney, Take, take care of them. I don't know what's happening. Anyways, um, the first point that I want us to look at today is godly mothers invite Jesus to the party. They are out of wine. Thank God that Jesus is at the party. Amen? Let's be honest for a second. How many people in here, when you were younger, maybe you had a birthday party? Anybody in here? If you didn't, it's okay. It was, they were amazing. Um, I, I can remember being like 9 or 10 years old, and uh, I was going to have a birthday party, and I have a, a summer birthday, and so we were going to invite my, my baseball team, and my mom and I, we were kind of going through the, the list of people on the team, and we got to this one particular person, and I didn't like this person at all. And I'm like, Mom, this person can't come. They're mean, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, long story short, it's the day of the party. Guess who comes walking up? This dude that was not invited to my party. And I remember just getting, I mean, like, I'm nine. I'm not probably a nice kid at all. And I'm kind of talking about him. I go to my mom, and I'm like, Mom, he came. He wasn't even invited. Can you believe that? And she's like, yeah, I can believe it because I invited him to come. I'm like, man, Mom, y'all know best, you know. Anyway, we ended up, he brought a really cool present, and we became friends, and we're, we're, <laughs> we're friends to this day. So anyway, uh, but follow me here. If you are to be honest, I can guarantee you that there's some people at this wedding, some people at this party that do not want Jesus to be there. Maybe even the bride or the groom. You may say, why would you not want Jesus to be at the wedding? He's Jesus. I mean, he's a miracle worker. He's a savior. He's the Messiah. Why would you not want Jesus there? Well, listen, we see a different Jesus right now a few thousand years later than they saw back then. This is before Jesus ever performed any miracles. This is before his ministry actually began. Let's look at kind of a snapshot of Jesus when he shows up at this wedding. He's 30 years old. His mom got pregnant from the Holy Spirit. Okay? Jesus is not married. He has people following him around that are his disciples. Okay? Um, his dad, Joseph, isn't his real dad. Are you following me here? I can guarantee you there were some people at this time that thought Jesus was a little different. They thought he was a little odd. They thought he was a little outside of the norm. But let me tell you, the greatest thing that they ever did was invite Jesus to the party. 
When Jesus turned the water into wine, number one, he saved the day. He saved great embarrassment. But I wonder in our own lives as we're sitting here this morning, have we invited Jesus to the party of our life? Have we invited him in? You know, I don't mean just, you know, said hey to him every once in a while, but have we, have we invited him to come in? Does he have an invitation to our life? Because if we haven't invited him into every area of our life, we're missing out. You know, every single one of us in here, we're to be honest, we want to do something extraordinary with our life. We really do. We want to do something great with our life. The problem is sometimes we want to do something great, but we don't try to get the involvement of God in our life. We want to do something great. We're driven. We have gifts and talents and abilities. And a lot of time we're just trying to figure things out on our own. And I'm going to do this. I'm going to direct my steps. My friend has this job, so I'm going to go in this way. And I want this because I have enough money to buy it. We just kind of start doing our own thing. And then we want God to just bless it. You know what I mean? Like instead of asking him to help us, instead of asking him to guide us, instead of praying about things, it's like we just want to sprinkle a little salt on the, on the dish after it's been cooked. Listen, Jesus wants to be the main ingredient. He wants us to center our life around him. When he directs our steps, our life is better. When he has control of every area, our life is better. You know, you will be amazed if you let God into an area that maybe you haven't let him into before. I'm telling you, if you, I want to encourage some people this morning, invite him to every area of your life. Invite him to, him, him to your decisions. Invite him to your work. Invite him to your finances. Invite him to school. Invite him to your job. Invite him at home. Amen? A lot of times in our life, we have areas of problems. We have areas of crisis. We hate our job or th something's going on at our family. Something's happening at school for you teenagers that are in here. My question is, is God, has he been invited to that area of your life? When Jesus shows up, things automatically get better. And the biggest thing the enemy wants you to do is just exclude Jesus from areas of your life. He's okay with us having him at church, but at home? In our marriage, with our families, at work, I'm telling you, if he is there, it's going to make things better. So I want to encourage us to do that. That's point number one. Be like mom. Invite Jesus to everything. Amen? Amen. Moving on. The next part I want us to look at is where Mary finds out that they need some wine. So she immediately goes to her son, and she's like, you need to do something about this. So I want to hang here just for a second. Let's look at Mary. Mary, I think we would agree, is the perfect picture of a godly mother. I mean, I don't think you could find another person better to say this is a godly mother than Mary. But how many people know, uh, you know, maybe you have a mother like me. She asks me to do things all the time. You know, I love my mom, and, and, you know, things are different when you become older. I'm 33 years old, and so, you know, my mom will call me, and she's like, Travis, can you help me with this? Can you help me move this plant? Can you do this? What I love about this story is we see the humanity of the situation. We see Jesus, who is the Son of God, who is the Messiah, who came to the earth to deliver the world. But here we see the picture of Jesus and his mother, and his mom is like, hey, Jesus, I need you to go take care of this. I love that, you know? Jesus is relatable. We can relate to Jesus. We can relate to his mother, okay? So anyway, Mary is trying to get her, or her son to help her out. However, her asking Jesus, follow me, to do something about the wine, I think has very little to do with her being, you know, a wedding coordinator or being part of the family. You know, we talked earlier about Jesus and how some people may have perceived Jesus as a little odd, a little different. I want you to think about Mary. Think about his mom. For 30-plus years, she's been telling people that Joseph isn't the father. She's been telling people that the Holy Spirit impregnated her. 
right? She's been telling people that there's something special about her son. She's been telling people that her son is going to do something amazing. Her son is going to save the world. I can guarantee you there were people that thought Mary was crazy. There were people that thought Mary was a liar. There were people that thought Mary was an adulterer. She cheated on Joseph. I guarantee those rumors have been going around for a long, long time. Listen, we would agree that Mary was this great woman. She was innocent. She was pure. She had a relationship with God that was unquestionable. How many ladies think it would be pretty cool for Jesus to be your son? I mean, you think about the miracles. You think about all the things that Jesus did. I think it would be pretty cool. But how cool would it be for your whole life to be called a liar? How cool would it be for your whole life to be called an adulterer? How cool would that be? Listen, as rewarding as Mary's life was, because let me tell you, she had a rewarding life. She was blessed. She was fulfilled. I can guarantee, though, there are some times in her life that were tough. When she said yes to God, her whole world changed. It turned upside down. Right now we're talking about Mary, but a lot of you moms in this room this morning, you know what I'm talking about. You love being a mom. You love your kids, but it hasn't always been easy. There have been tough times. There's been trying times, giving of yourself, laying down your life, putting the needs of others before you. Listen, that's why we honor you today. We love you today. You know, when God made a mom, he made a special, special thing. And there's some things that, that I can't even understand as a guy and as a father that, that you moms do. But, you know, God, even though Mary, you know, had a tough time, God comforted her. God gave her peace. God gave her love. God gave her joy. But you've also got to believe at this wedding, hundreds and hundreds of people are there. And she wants Jesus to step into who she knows Jesus to be. I bet for 30 years when people were making fun of her, for 30 years when people were making fun of Jesus, 30 years when they were calling her a liar, when they were calling her crazy, where they were calling him odd, I bet the whole time she's just thinking, you just wait. You just wait. Because I know who he is. I know what the angel told me. I know who my son is. And one of these days, he's going to show everybody and he's going to change the world. He's going to show everybody. And I think this wedding was just a, a setup that Mary had been waiting for for 30 years. For God to vindicate her. For God to let Jesus step into what Jesus was created to do. This gets us to our second point. If you want to follow in the footsteps of a godly mom, offer your whole life. Mary offered her whole life unto God. Remember what she said to the angel, Be it unto me, whatever you want, I'm going to do whatever you want me to do. When she said yes to God that day, Mary died. Her plans died. Her future that she had intended die, died. But you know what? It was worth it. She was Jesus' mom. She got to see the miracle. She got to see the lives changed. Look, God has great things in store for every single person in, the, in this room. But it will never come to pass until we offer everything unto God. I want to ask you today, have you offered everything to Jesus? And this is kind of piggybacking the first point. But again, the enemy wants us to keep, keep us from offering everything. He's okay if we just offer 10% or 50% or 90%. Listen, Mary offered everything. God, you can change everything. I'm going to follow you. I think one of the problems sometimes we have as Christians, in at least modern American Christianity, is action versus intention. Listen, we have great intentions. We want to do this. I have, I'm intending to pray every day. I'm intending to go Wednesday night to uh, May We Pray. I, I intend to, to read the Bible. I intend to witness to people. My intention is to be a, a great follower of Christ. My intention is this, that, and the other. But a lot of times our intentions don't equal out to our actions. 
You know, I, I thought about this the other day. How many people late at night, maybe you've watched the commercials like with the dogs, you know, that they've beaten and it's like Sarah McLaughlin music. And, you know, I, I promise you this has been several months, but I can remember it's late at night and this music's playing and these dogs are showing pictures. And I'm like, am I am I crying? What's happening? You know, and it's just sad. It's moving. I'm just filled with compassion. Do you think I sent some money to him? Nope. Most of us in here, if you're to be honest, you've seen the same commercial. Did you send money? And I think sometimes, some of you may have, and you're a great person, but some of us in here, we treat our Christianity the same way. I intellectualize it. I understand it. I feel compassion. Those people in Africa, those people in that part of the community, I need to disciple. I need to read my Bible. I want to do it. I'm inspired to do it. Pastor Steve has inspired me, but sometimes we intellectualize it and we never walk it out. Listen, God is calling us as a body of Christ to walk it out. James says, faith without works is dead. Listen, you prove your faith by what you do. If all you do is intellectualize things and you never do it, it doesn't really matter. You know what I mean? One day we will all be judged not on our intentions, but on our fruit. What did we actually do? Okay? So that was the first point. Uh, being like your godly mom, invite Jesus to the party. The second point, offer your whole life. Here's the third point today. If you want to be like your godly mom, serve. Look at your neighbor and say, serve. I think we would agree that if there's one word to describe most godly mothers, it is servant. Listen, moms are servants. They lay down their life. They help out. I mean, they they cleaning dirty stuff. They're doing crazy stuff all the time. It's not because they just want to do that, but because they love us. They care about us. They lay down their life. And some of the most godly moms I know, that's, that's all they do is serve. Look what this passage says, verse 9. We just read it. When the man in charge of the banquet tasted the water that had become wine without knowing where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water they knew. Isn't it interesting that the only people that saw the miracle miracle was the disciples, was Mary, and then it was just some servants. They saw what Jesus did. Let me ask you a question today. Are we servants? And then a follow-up question. Are we serving in the house of the Lord? If you've been to a church for a long time, you know about the word serving. And sometimes without intending, sometimes I think we get this bad connotation of someone just wanting us to do a meaningless task or a bad task that nobody else wants to do for free, okay? And I think the culture tries to tell us, hey, if you do something, you need to be paid. Listen, what Jesus teaches is to serve others, to lay your life down. Okay, that's what he teaches. And I, I can remember growing up in a really small church, and I can remember from the pulpit, I was probably eight or nine, the, the pastor saying, we need some uh, bathroom attendants. We need some people that can start serving in the bathroom. And I'm like, I don't, don't want to do that. You know what I mean? <laughs> Listen, we've got to catch this. Serving isn't some terrible task we're obligated to do. It's something we get to do. Yeah. Our life needs to be about serving others. And we don't have to have a title of servant, but your life should show what you believe. And I believe in Christ and the following, His teaching, so I'm going to serve. There's three uh, reasons why we serve that I want to talk about real fast. Number one, I serve as my response to the goodness of God. I serve because simply God is good. Because He is faithful, because He saved me, because He's restored me, and He's my master, and I just want to serve Him. Number two, we serve because Jesus served. You cannot be a Christian and separate your life from what Jesus did. We're a fan or we're a follower. Listen, Jesus is calling us to look like Him. If you do not serve humanity, serve your family, serve your wife or husband, if you do not serve your school, are we really followers of Christ? 
Like we need to evaluate. And here's number three. I love this one. I serve so I see him a little bit better. I don't serve so God can see me better. We need to understand this. God sees you perfectly clear 2020 right now. He can see you. When I serve, I see God better. Think about the servants. They were the ones who saw the miracle. The people, everyone else eating the food, they didn't see the miracle. The servants who were right there doing it saw what Jesus did. I bet you there was one person who was supposed to be back there, you know, doing that, and he didn't do it. He missed out. What do we miss out on because we are not serving? Final thought, are you serving right now in this church? If not, why not? Listen, this is an opportunity through this house to bless the community. You all have gifts and talents and abilities. Listen, use them for God. God gave them to you to use for the body of Christ. I was in Dallas several months ago, and I saw a sign on the wall that said this, if you're too big to serve, you're too small to lead. We all want to lead. Who wants to serve? Jesus served. Amen? That's one of the things that we can do. And listen, when I talk to Pastor Steve, he is so proud of this church because this is a serving church. This is a church that loves the community. This is a church that loves the families of this community. I want to just encourage you in that. Keep doing it. What's going to win people to Jesus isn't our eloquent speech. It's our servanthood. It's us loving this community with no strings attached. Amen? Moving on, the last point I want us to make this morning is this. Be like mom and mix it up, okay? And I'm not talking about brownies, though I know some of you can cook. Listen to this. Jesus' mom tells the servants to do whatever Jesus asks. Look what, look what happens, verse 6. It says, Now standing, there were six stone water jars used for the Jewish rites of purification, each one holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, Fill the jars with water. And so they filled them up to the brim. And then he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the man in charge of the banquet. There's a few things I want us to grab because this, to me, is the whole point of the whole story. There's three things I want us to walk away with, and then we're going to pray. Number one, what I find interesting is that when the wine runs out, Jesus doesn't go get some wine pitchers. He goes and gets some empty water pitchers. And it's like, why does he do this? Listen, there's a specific reason Jesus does everything that Jesus do, does. There's nothing random in the Bible, okay? There's nothing that's just happenstance. So back in the day, when, uh, with water and with wine, you didn't mix the jars, Water jars had, wine, or had water. You never mixed them. Wine had wine. You kept them separate. You didn't mix them up like this. I think it's interesting that Jesus switched it. He could have done whatever he wanted, but he put water, right? He, he put the, uh, ended up making wine in a water jar. And I think it's the, the truth that he wanted us to get across this morning is this. God will use you if you're available. If you're available, if you're a vessel, God is going to use you. These vessels weren't made of gold. They weren't made of silver. They weren't great vessels. They were just ordinary water pots. And that's all Jesus needed. All Jesus needed is somebody that's ordinary but says, I want to be used by you. God's not looking for us to be smart enough or have the biggest bank account or dress the best or be the most intellectual, or be the most theologically sound. He's simply looking for a vessel. Can I use you? Can I pour something in you? Can I do something through your life? Listen, that's what God wants us to do. Every single person in here, you have the capabilities to be a vessel. I may not can do this, that, or the other, but I can be an open vessel that you can use to do whatever you want to do with. Secondly, what else do we see about the water jars? It's that their purpose changed. They were water jars that were empty, but then they became jars of wine. Transformation occurred. 
from water jars to wine jugs. When you become a Christian, your purpose changes. God begins a process called transformation. But a lot of us will say, God, you know, I'm a water pot. I've always been a water pot. You don't know my past. And all God is saying, if you're a vessel, I can transform you into what I want. Listen, all of us in here, we have a past. We have different things we don't like about ourselves. We, we're all sin. We fall short of God's glory. But let me tell you, if you will say yes to God, He can transform you into whatever He wants. The good news is you don't have to rely on willpower. You don't have to worry about your dedication. If I just say yes to God and say yes to the process, God will do the transformation. You can't fake transformation. It's something that God does because of our heart yielding to Him. Maybe, you know, those things in our life are true, but God can still transform us. I feel like maybe there's some people in this room this morning, maybe you feel empty. Maybe you feel dry. Maybe you feel like you have a hard heart in some areas. I'm telling you, God can bring fulfillment. He can bring purpose. He can bring new life. He can bring peace where there's been confusion. He can bring joy where there's been just hopelessness. God can move. Finally, number three. What else do we know about these water jugs? The Bible says that they were used for the Jewish rites of purification. The water that would be put in these jars would be used for religious ceremonies in accordance with Levitical law. People would wash their hands and their feet according to the Old Testament law. The reason that they're empty is because the guests that came to the wedding, they've used them. They've washed their hands and they've washed their feet. But I also think that this is showing something very significant. If you really study this out, what is happening is Jesus is laying the foundation for a new covenant. Matthew 9, 17, listen to this. Neither is new wine put in an old wineskin. If it is, the skin bursts and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put in fresh wineskins, so both are preserved. Listen, when Jesus shows up on the scene, the old covenant or the Mosaic law or, or the law as it's commonly referred to, it's been around for 1,500 years. God set up the Old Testament or the law so people would know what sin is. People would know how to identify with sin. They, they would know what it was. How could you not sin if you didn't know what sin was? And the Old Testament was set up to reflect God's holy character. God is set apart. God is sovereign. The law was set up on a reward consequence system. If you broke the law, it was called sin and there was consequences. If you obeyed the law, things were good and you were blessed. But you know what? For 1,500 years, nobody could keep the law. Nobody could follow it. People continued to break the law every single year. Every single day, people would break the law. Have you ever failed a test like the whole class failed the test? I've been there. Listen, this was the law. It was to show you cannot get to God. There was only one man who ever fulfilled the law. And he was at a wedding that day in Cana. What else you know when you read the Old Testament is that if you broke the law, again, it was called sin, but there had to be atonement for sin. Why? Because God cannot look down upon sin. So what happened in the Old Testament? An animal was cut, an animal was killed, and that blood was used to cover sin. Now that blood did not take away sin, but the blood covered sin. See, it was never God's purpose, however, just to cover sin forever. At some point in time, He was going to send a sacrifice that would take away sin. When Jesus came to the earth, He lived a perfect life. And he, and he died on the cross. You may say a lot of people died on the cross. Nobody who was innocent ever died, ever. Jesus died innocently, not just to cover sin, but for once and for all, take away sin. 
Remember when John the Baptist is about to baptize Jesus, he said, Behold, here is the Son of God who comes to take away sin. Listen, this is what this story is all about. When Jesus turns the water into wine at this wedding, he is beginning to institute a new covenant that was established at the cross. And you know what this covenant was all about? It was about grace. Romans 6.14 says this, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you're not under the law, but you're under grace. Friend, that's great news. Even in our sin, even in our shortcomings, I can now get to God because of Jesus. See, this story is not about some people needing some wine. This story is about everybody needing grace. Jesus came to give grace. And I don't know about you today, but I'm thankful for grace. Today, God wants to give every person in this room grace. Maybe you're going through a tough time in your life. Maybe you're going through a storm. Maybe you have some confusion. Maybe you feel hopeless. God is offering every person in this room grace. Let's all just stand on our feet for a second. There's grace in this room to receive joy. There's grace in this room for salvation. Listen, if you're away from God, God wants to save you. He wants to restore you. He can take away that sin. He can take away that heartache. Listen, we talked this morning about several things. Inviting Him to the party. Maybe there's an area of your life that you haven't invited Him in. You can invite Him in today. God, come be a part of my marriage. Come be a part of my finances. Next, we talked about offer your whole life. Not just some, but your whole life. Next, we talked about serve. There's grace today to serve. There's grace today to use your talent and your ability to, I guarantee you, Adam and Devin and the team here can get you plugged in to serving. Here's the last point I want to make today. Be like mom and mix it up, okay? I'm not talking about brownies, though. Man, I, I, my mom makes some brownies, and I'm ready to get home and, and get some. But mix it up, and I'll, I'll explain this where I'm going. It says, after Jesus' mom tells the servants to do whatever Jesus asks, look what happens. This is super important, verse 6. It says, now standing there were six stone water jars used for the Jewish rites of purification, each one holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water, so they fill them up to the brim. And then he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the man in charge of the banquet. For a few minutes, let's look at these jars, because I believe that this is the main part of the whole story, and it's going to tie everything together. There's three things I want us to take away from this part. Number one, what I find interesting is that when the wine actually runs out, Jesus doesn't go get a wine pitcher or jars that formerly had wine in them. He goes and he gets an empty water jar. And I think Jesus doesn't just randomly do this. Listen, everything in the Bible is not random. It's specific. There's a reason for every word that is written in the Bible. It's inspired by God. The Bible tells us to study to show ourselves approved. So we just sometimes look over stuff. But there's a specific reason why Jesus used something unusual to put wine in. Listen, back in the day, water jars were for water. You did not mix them. Wine jars were for wine. See, I think that he wanted to show Jesus, he wanted to show the reader that he can and will use any vessel that's available. Any vessel that's there, Jesus will use. And it's the same truth for us this morning. God will use you if you're available. You may say, I don't know if God can use me. If you're available, God will use you. 
He doesn't care. These jars weren't gold. They weren't silver. There wasn't any importance to these jars except they were there and they were available to be used. And I see people all the time, they think, I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, I don't look the part, I can't do that, I'm not talented. No, are you a vessel? If you're a vessel, God can pour in you what he wants to pour in you. Secondly, what else we see in these water jars is that their purpose changed. They were water jars, but then they became vessels to put wine in. They became wine jars. Transformation occurred from water jars, again, to wine jars. Look, when you become a Christian, your purpose changes. Transformation begins to happen. Listen, it's not an overnight thing, and it's not just self-discipline. It's the Holy Spirit through grace will allow things to start to change in your life. A lot of us will say, God, I'm a water pot. I've always been a water pot. I always will be a water pot. Water pot. And listen, maybe that's true, but if you're in the house and you're available, God can use you and he can transform you. Some of you in here, listen, you need to hear this. You're in a safe place to be transformed. God's not transforming you because he doesn't like you the way you are, but he created you, and he knows the full potential that's inside of you. Some of us late at night, we went, we laying awake, and we know there's something more. Jesus can do it. He loves you, but he created us for a purpose, for this season. He can change you. He can change you from what you used to be. He can change you from an adulterer. He can change you from a bad husband. He can change you from someone who's addicted to drugs. He can change you. And it's not just because you're going to be so uh, willpowered up. It's going to be because God will begin to transform. And some things happen quick and some things happen over a process. But let me tell you, if you're available, He will do it. There's no question about it. All you have to do is say yes. Yes. Can you say yes today? I feel maybe there's some people in here, you feel empty, you feel dry, you feel like I'm purposeless, I, you know, I'm going through a season that's just, you know, not what it should be, not what I thought, not what I thought it could be. I'm telling you, God wants to fill you up. He wants to pour into you this morning. He wants to help you in this season of your life. Here's a final one, number three. What else do we know about these water jugs? The Bible says that they were used for the Jewish rites of purification. Water that would be put in these jars would be used for religious ceremonies in accordance with the Levitical law. People would wash their hands and their feet according to the Old Testament law. The reason that they're empty is they have just washed their hands and they've just washed their feet in accordance to these laws. And this is showing something, I believe, extremely significant in this story. If you really study this out, what I believe is happening is Jesus is laying the foundation for a new covenant. Look what Matthew 9, 17 says. Neither is new wine put in old wine skin. If it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put in fresh wine skin and so both are preserved. Listen, when Jesus shows up on the scene, the Old Testament law, the Mosaic law, or just the law had been around for about 1,500 years. The law was put in place so people would know what to expect from God. People would know what sin is. God wanted to show people what sin was, so he defined it. He identified what sin was. He gave them the law. The law reflects his holy character. The law was set up, though, reward and consequence. If you broke the law, it's called sin, and there was consequence. If you obeyed the law, things were good. You would live a blessed life. But here's the problem. The law was hard to fulfill. In fact, in 1,500 years, nobody could fulfill it. Nobody can live without breaking one of the laws, right? Nobody could do it except one guy who showed up at a wedding. He was the only person that actually didn't break the law. 
The law was to show us we cannot get to God. The law was to show us He's holy, He's set apart, and we can't just come to God. So the Old Testament, if you read through it, what happens a lot? There's a lot of animal sacrifice. You may say, why is there animal sacrifice? Because blood has to be shed for the atonement of sin. Because there is sin, there is a consequence, so blood has to cover. Here's the problem, though. An animal's blood in the Old Testament only covered the sin. It never took away the sin, okay? So remember Jesus, when he's about to be baptized, John the Baptist says something to him. He says, behold, the Lamb of God is coming to do what? To take away the sins of mankind, the sins of the world. He's not coming to just cover the sin. He's coming to actually take them away. Listen, it was never God's intention just to cover sin, but it was to have Jesus come as sin to take away sin once and for all. Remember when Jesus shows up on the scene, that's his whole purpose. When Jesus turns the water into wine at this wedding, he's instituting a new covenant that would be established at the cross. You know what that covenant was? It was a covenant of grace. Romans 6.14 says this, For sin will have no dominion over you. You are not under the law, but you're under grace. Friend, that's good news. No longer do we have to follow this set of laws that we could never amount up to, but we get to follow Jesus. There is grace. He came to establish grace. See, this whole story isn't about Jesus just trying to give some people some wine. Jesus is trying to give some people some grace. That's the whole story. And that's the story of every single one of us here this morning. Listen, we all come from different backgrounds. We have different things that are going on in our life. But we serve a God that cares so much about us. He laid it down so we could have grace extended towards us. Jesus died a brutal death on the cross, not because there wasn't another way, but because that was the way. Blood had to be shed from a perfect person. You may say a lot of people died through Roman law. You're absolutely right, but no innocent person ever died. Jesus died because of grace, to bring us grace. And listen, if there's one thing I want to impart to you this morning, receive God's grace. There's grace for you this morning. There's grace to live like Jesus. There's grace to overcome sin. There's grace for peace. There's grace to have joy in your life again. There's grace to go through the storm if you're going through that right now. Listen, there's grace. I want all of us just to stand on our feet for a moment. We talked about several things today. We talked about inviting Jesus in to every area of our life. Listen, there's grace to do that. Maybe you've just been kind of holding back. You've been testing the water. I'm telling you, jump off the diving board. You will not regret it. Listen, today there is grace to offer your whole life. There's grace to serve. There's grace to overcome that sin. Listen, there's grace this morning to be saved. How do you, how do you become saved? Call in the name of the Lord. Repent of your sins. You shall be saved. God wants to save people today. Listen, there is grace to be the person that God wants you to be. There's grace to follow in your, in your mother's godly footsteps. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear how this message ministered to you. Feel free to let us know on the Connect tab of the House Church app. We hope you have a great week.